It was almost real, the Pro Wrestling History Podcast, episode 33. Welcome to It Was Almost Real, the Pro Wrestling History Podcast. This is the podcast that is normally dedicated to professional wrestling history from 1870 to 1920. And this episode is probably going to throw a lot of people off because this is a completely winging it episode. This is going to be episode 33, which is going to come out before episode 30. So um, we're going to publish episode 30, which was supposed to be published today next week on September 4th and then the regular episodes will come out on September 11th and September 25th as normal but we had one super significant death and a very significant death this week in pro wrestling that we were going to acknowledge on the podcast but that podcast would not have come out till the end of September which didn't seem right to us and Dan really is the one that got this episode kicked off because he texted me about this on Thursday and said, hey, did you know Terry Funk died? And I had just seen it on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call that thing, whatever it is today. Mm -hmm. And so that put that thought into my mind that, yeah, a lot of the guys that we watched have died recently or are dying and you were telling me uh, today it always comes in threes and mm-hmm. we've had three significant deaths over yeah. the last few weeks mm-hmm. adorable, uh, not adorable <laughs> that's Adrian Dines, exotic Adrian Street Terry Funk and then Bray Wyatt unexpectedly within the same week as Terry Funk Bray Wyatt is tragic because he was only 36 years old. You're very true, yes. Very and tragic. he's got four children. So, you know, our thoughts oh, okay. are with their family. Um, it's tragic for them because he's so young and he should not have died that young. Unfortunately, he had a pre-existing heart condition and he caught COVID-19. And as a lot of people know, COVID-19, uh, they still don't know if it's a heart or a lung disease primarily but it affects both and if you have a heart condition unfortunately it can worsen that particular condition so our thoughts and prayers with them Terry Funk is someone that both Dan and I saw growing up and I should have said at the beginning uh, Dan and I are doing this episode Caleb will be back with us for the regular episodes but this is an episode he and I just wanted to do uh, by ourselves it's kind of a reflection on how the people that we really admired and looked up to when we were kids are now all starting to, to pass away. And so, do you remember the first time you ever saw Terry Funk, Dan? I remember the first time I saw Terry Funk was in the NWA match in St. Louis. And um, I believe, I want to say, that he was fighting a very old and out of shape and uh, much older Tommy Wildfire Rich. Uh, of course, it turned into quite the um, bloodbath as uh, 
Terry Funk was known to have, and uh, Tommy Rothfire Rich had his share of them too. Um, and I also saw his brother, Dory Funk Jr., fight uh, Ric Flair for the NWA world title at my second ever uh, wrestling match I had ever been to. Yeah, I'm going to say, I think I saw Dory first as well, because St. Louis, I think, is one of the few places Dory was making regularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I first started watching wrestling in 79, 80, 81. It might have been 89, I think I told you the other day. Yeah. But it was somewhere in that time frame. But Terry would come to, to town occasionally, and Jack Briscoe. A lot of the former NWA champions would make appearances in St. Louis. And I saw Terry Funk then, and of course I saw the WWF version um and I don't know that I appreciated Terry Funk as much as I should have until I saw the matches with Ric Flair in 1989. Okay. So Flair had just come off the, that three-match series with Steamboat, probably the best matches of 1989, 1990, without, or 1989. It might have been the best wrestling in the NWA has ever seen. Those three matches, I mean... If you're not a wrestling fan, after watching those fan, watching those matches, you would be a fan. Yeah. And so then, Rick's got to do something. They just can't fall off after he wrestles. So he wrestles a series of matches with Terry Funk after the matches with Steamboat. Okay. And I don't think the matches with Funk were quite to the level of the matches with Steamboat, but they were pretty close. Right, exactly. And Terry could still go, even though he was in his early 40s. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Dave Meltzer gave the match at Clash of the Champions 9 a five stars. And I know that I like both of the matches, the pay-per-view match at Great American Bash Mm -hmm. and the Clash of the Champions match, about as much as I like the Steamboat matches. And I I tended to be an NBA fan anyway. Right, yeah. I think we both were at the beginning. And, well, actually, I tell you what, I was never... I was never really a big WWF fan. I was just, I was a fan of Macho Man. Yeah, and I was <clears> a fan <throat> of the announced team of Bobby Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon. Exactly. But a lot of the wrestlers did not do anything for him. Now, the, the Bulldogs in the Hart Foundation, and then Bret, Bret Hart in the 90s. Yeah, the, they. Yeah. I really liked them. But by and large, the WWF wrestlers I just saw as a bunch of bodybuilders. I may have wanted to look like them, but I didn't. Those were not people that I would have said, oh, I want to go watch them wrestle. Right, exactly. Um, the NWA had a lot of people that I would go watch wrestle. Mm-hmm. So then Terry, I don't really see him that much until after he does that ECW run. And I didn't get ECW until the last year or two um, when it was on one of the cable channels. I never saw those pay-per-views and everything. And I think I've told you, I don't think it really stands up if you watch it. You know, um, my thing with ECW is, you know, everybody came out with kendo sticks or a club or some sort of weapon, and it was ex- extreme rules. I'm, I like the old glory days when the guy hid a foreign object in his trunk <laughs> and then, you know, a roll of quarters or something in there. Right. Uh, I was never really into this whole bloodletting, extreme thing. Uh, right, right in front of the referee who should be disqualified. Right, exactly. Except when it came to Terry Funk, there was something about seeing this wild-eyed 
stringy-haired dude just wham on somebody. Right. And I, I did like the stuff that he did when WWE. That whole Chainsaw Charlie thing was stupid. Oh, yes, that was. But, you know, you can't blame that on Terry Funk. Mm-mm. That is the creative geniuses of one Vincent Kennedy McMahon, <laughs> Bruce Pritchard, and i got to throw Kevin Dunn in this because Jim Cornette said he was part responsible for this because he said people wouldn't know who Terry Funk is. Oh, well. He had, you know, just doing all the things he had done, nobody would know who Terry Funk is. Sounds like something dumb that Vince Russo would do. Yeah, well, dumb birds of a feather flock together. <laughs> right. But t- when you look at Terry Funk's career, to me, he almost had two different careers. He was more of a straight wrestler in the 70s and even early 80s. Mm-hmm. And the match we're going to do for the review today is available on YouTube. We'll also give a couple recommendations on some things that are on uh, the Peacock Network. But I didn't want to review anything from Peacock because I wanted people to be able to easily look at what we were talking about mm-hmm. for the review. But he had like two careers he was more of a straight wrestler although he could do a little hardcore stuff like the match we're going to review today but it was it was still within that wrestling framework yeah and then he started doing the death matches in Japan and the death matches in ECW and some of the hardcore stuff in the WWF Mm -hmm. and the thing that's amazing about it now on one hand it was probably easier for him to do some of that stuff in his 50s and even early 60s because he was in his when he went to ECW he might have been 49 when he first got there okay but he would have turned 50 in June of 94 yeah and I know he was there in 94 95 so he's in his early 50s and when he's doing the death matches in Japan he's in his 50s mm-hmm. and I think he went he might have wrestled up into his early 70s but not consistently right but he's doing this hardcore style when he is the elder statesman mm-hmm. in wrestling. Well, and physically, he always looked like he was in shape. And he never looked like he was struggling to keep up cardio-wise with these guys. I was going to say, you know, I was, I, that's what uh, amazed me. And I believe we, you know, says that, you know, how, how good a shape was this guy in? Because I know that right now at my age, I couldn't, and, and I'm not even... I'm not even in my mid-50s yet. I'm still in my early 50s. I couldn't get into a ring and do what he did and take those chair shots and, uh, you know, get into a barbed wire match or get thrown to the table or whatever, you know. And he, he never got gassed. He never uh, got winded. He, yeah. he, he could keep up with the guys, mm-hmm. which is just amazing for someone of his age at that time. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the fact that he lived to an advanced age, it, it, I'm surprised that he lived to 79 after all the abuse yes. his body took. Yep. Because that that abuse wears on the body, which is what I want to talk in the second part of this episode about. And, and that's, unfortunately, the number of young wrestlers that have passed on recently. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking about this uh, on the way over. There's only two touring world champions left. Because Flair was the last one that toured as NWA World Champion. Yes, that's yes. It's Dory, who's mm-hmm. in his early eighties. Yeah, and it's Ric Flair, who's in his mid seventies. Mm-hmm. I think Flair will be uh, seventy-five next February. Whew. So they're the last two standing. Yeah, all, all the other touring World Champions have passed. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you uh, met Harley Race at the casino yes. many times. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, so when I started watching wrestling, Harley Race was world champion. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like him because he was a great heel champion going against the Von Erichs and Ted DiBiase in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. But I thought he was the toughest guy in the world when he was the world champion because that's how he carried himself. Yeah, he carried himself as no nonsense, all business. And when he got in the ring, that's what he was. Yeah. And I think that Harley Race could give anybody a great match. Yeah, well, he did have great matches with everybody. So if you look... People always had their best match with Ric Flair. People always had their best match with Harley Race. Those mm-hmm. are not accidents. Those yeah. guys brought out the best in people and knew how to lead the mm-hmm. matches. So I just I pulled up a list. There's a list on uh, Wikipedia that talks about wrestlers dying prematurely. And, of course, we also had Bray Wyatt's death this uh, week. And... Bray Wyatt's is not what happens a lot of times with the wrestlers dying prematurely. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of heart attacks, um, but a lot of the time the heart attacks are brought on by misuse of drugs and you know being overweight, using performance enhancing drugs. All those things all contribute to it. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what was the first wrestling death that you can remember that really affected you? The first wrestling death that really the death that really affected me. Um, oh wow! I tell you, I'm gonna have to. Cause I know mine. I can give mine if you need to think about it for a few minutes. Yeah, go ahead and give yours while I I dwell on. So this mine's first really thing. easy, mm-hmm. and it's David Von Erich dying mm-hmm. in 1984. Mm-hmm. Um, he him and Ted DiBiase were my favorite wrestlers at the time, and I just couldn't believe someone that young could die and I found out um, you and I both went to NGROTC high Mm -hmm. school here in St. Louis Yeah, and I was getting ready to take a week long naval field trip to Norfolk Virginia and we were in the airport over at Scott Air Force Base getting ready to fly on military air over to Norfolk Mm -hmm. when someone said hey did you hear David Von Erich died and I, I was like yeah right yeah but no it you know, it was true. You know, he had passed away, mm-hmm. and I was just shocked that someone that young could pass away. Right. Um, there have been talk about there were drugs in his room that some people got rid of and everything, but the official cause of his death was enteritis. And Kevin had said <clears throat> before he went to Japan, Dave was not himself and had suffered some kind of abdominal injury, but you know wrestling being what it is if you take time off that costs you money yes these guys never wanted to take time off and he never got it properly looked at Mm -hmm. whatever the cause david's death shocked me and he was only 25 years old right the rest of the von eric deaths were heartbreaking but you understood all of them because they were abusing drugs and they took their own life under various circumstances right you know it's Terrible tragedy. I was gonna say it was. It's like the family was cursed or something. Yes, and yeah. that's that's what I think killed the promotion. Is the fans started thinking that the family was cursed, mm-hmm. you know, and their favorite wrestlers are just you know, yeah, dying one by one. And then you had you had a lot of deaths around that promotion too. So besides 
the Von Erichs, you had Gino Hernandez dying at 28 under yes. mysterious circumstances. Mm-hmm. Was it a drug overdose? Did Was he murdered? I mean, most people don't eat cocaine, and there was cocaine right. found in his stomach. Right. Um, but I just went over a, a few, and one of the things that I think is really the contributor to a lot of these young deaths, mm-hmm. and that is the road. Yeah. So... Everybody looks at professional wrestling as this glamorous life because, you know, they're in front of thousands of fans every week, millions of fans on Mm pay-per-view. But in reality, that's 20 to 30 minutes of their day. Yeah. The rest of their day is going from town to town on planes and cars, Mm -hmm. grabbing food where you can grab it at. I know they've got catering now. Yeah. W, I think all of the big promotions have catering now. I, I think so, yeah. But still, when you're, you, that's a meal, but you've got to grab food other places and other mm-hmm. times, and you got to constantly be switching planes and everything. Yeah. And the way a lot of wrestlers dealt with that, particularly in the 70s and 80s and uh, 90s, was recreational drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. You know? A lot of partying went on after the matches each night. Oh, yeah. Well documented by a lot of the wrestlers. And this is what I told you earlier. I really wish that I could remember. So there's a University of Michigan study done in 2014 that said professional wrestlers die at two-point times the normal rate of other professions. Oh, my. Um, and they attributed it to being overweight, so heart issues and mm-hmm. drug use. I got you. But I have heard this twice on different podcasts, and I really wish I could attribute who I first heard say it. Mm-hmm. But they said it seems that the combination of recreational drugs, particularly cocaine, yeah, and performance-enhancing drugs, particularly steroids, Mm-hmm. The combination of those two things have a terrible effect on the heart. Okay. And a lot of these deaths in their 30s, if they're not overdoses, they're heart attacks. Yes. So, and this is not a new phenomenon. The drug of the 70s and 80s was, but there was a wrestler, Clarence Whistler. He was William Muldoon's toughest opponent. And he died in 1885. The official cause of death was pneumonia when he was doing a tour of Australia. But there are stories around Whistler that his death at 29 was, uh, the contributing factors were he was a uh, serious, serious alcoholic. Okay. Um, and a matter of fact, he and Muldoon were friends, and they were frenemies. They'd be friends ah. for a while, and then they'd be enemies. Mm-hmm. They wrestled a seven-hour draw one time. Oh, my God. Yeah. Muldoon... Hours, Never beat Whistler, mm-hmm. but he had a victory over Whistler because he slammed him down on his shoulder. Well, let me tell the whole story of how this got, because it's actually a fairly interesting story. So Whistler and him had had a few matches, mm-hmm. but Muldoon saw that there wasn't a ton of money in professional wrestling in the early 1880s because fans were coming out in the hundreds, not the thousands. Right. But... If he took a show on the road and gave wrestling exhibitions and exhibitions of his strength, which he was trying to promote his system of physical culture at the same time, 
he became America's first celebrity trainer after he retired from wrestling. He oh, okay. uh, trained businessmen, politicians, and professional athletes. Oh, okay. So Muldoon would do these vaudeville tours. He'd wrestle a few times a year, but a lot of the time he spent doing vaudeville tours. And he would recruit wrestlers to do these tours and give these exhibitions with him. And one of the people he recruited was Clarence Whistler because he liked Whistler. Even though Whistler was the one guy he couldn't beat, <coughs> he liked him. So they're touring, I think it was 1883, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. They're doing one of these vaudeville tours. And Whistler is given an exhibition with Andre Crystal. Andre Crystal was a Greco-Roman wrestler from France who brought the world title over from France in 1876. Okay. But in all honesty, Crystal was not nearly to the level of a Whistler or a Muldoon, and he worked the vast majority of his matches in America. He did not wrestle legitimate contests for the most part. So, excuse me, folks. We got a dry spot. Whistler and Crystal are having an exhibition, and Whistler's drunk. Mm-hmm. He'd been drinking all day, and he isn't really fond of Crystal. So he starts roughing him up, banging his head on the floor, and you know, taking it. You know, they're they're on a matted area on the stage. That's how they used to wrestle most mm-hmm. time in that time, anyway. Right. But he starts grinding his forearm in the guy's face and banging his head and really making Crystal mad. They're, you know, supposed to be doing an exhibition, but Crystal can't do nothing with him. Whistler just slap him around, do whatever he wants to him. He can't do anything. Right. He's not nearly on Whistler's level. Mm-hmm. So Muldoon finally sees what's going on. He goes out onto the stage and grabs Whistler and drags him off of Crystal and asks what he's doing. At which point, Whistler punches Muldoon. Oh, Muldoon doesn't like being punched, returns a favor and punches Whistler. So now they're not having a wrestling match. They're having a boxing match on the stage. Finally, a couple of the wrestlers were able to separate the two of them, and Muldoon fires him on the spot. Mm -hmm. So Whistler says, okay, then that's fine. We're going to settle this in the ring. We're going to have a match. So, And this was actually the last match they ever had, and it'll... The end of the story will show you how how these guys' friendship was. Mm-hmm. Muldoon cannot throw Whistler. They've wrestled for about an hour and a half. Whistler's mainly staying defensive because he's given away a huge size disadvantage to Muldoon. Muldoon is six foot six foot one, two ten to two twenty. Yeah. Whistler is five foot ten, one hundred sixty five pounds. Oh, okay. So finally, Muldoon just gets frustrated and scoops Whistler up off the ground and tries to slam him, but Whistler prevents him from being slammed, so Muldoon throws him basically face and shoulder first into the mat, and Whistler skips. Like a stone. Yep. Oh, gosh. Dislocates his shoulder. Ouch. So Muldoon's actually sorry for what he did Mm -hmm. um, and just says, just call it a draw, you know. Yeah. I didn't mean to hurt him, but call him a draw. This is not fair. And Whistler refused and said, no, if uh, I wouldn't normally have to forfeit, you know, so, you know, I'm going to forfeit this. And they sat there and argued about it for like five minutes. But finally, Muldoon accepted uh, Whistler's forfeit. They shook hands and they became friends again. But Mm -hmm. Whistler left for Australia not long after that. So, Fortunately, they did reconcile 
um, before he took the fateful trip to Australia. Right. Because they might have ended up not being friends. Exactly. But while Whistler is in Australia, he takes a boxing match, which was not a wise thing to do, and he lost that. He won a couple wrestling matches, and he's doing a lot of drinking, as he's wont to do. And this story is out there, but it could be apocryphal. It's hard to separate fact and fiction in pro wrestling. Right. Supposedly, he chewed up a bottle or chewed up the top of a bottle to win a bet. And they think that the glass had something to do with his death. Uh. But his official cause of death is pneumonia. And my guess is he probably was drunk and got sick. And mm-hmm. that's what it Yeah. But... He had spent all his money. He had no money saved up from his pro wrestling career. He had a wife back in the States. Mm-hmm. So the fans in Australia bought a grave and a marker, and he's buried in Australia. Oh, okay. Because the fans paid for his burial. Otherwise, he'd have been in a pauper's grave right? somewhere. So uh, so these are not new challenges in wrestling. They, they've been around since the beginning of wrestling. Mm-hmm. They just weren't as bad back then because one as people who hear our episode that we've already got recorded about the Evan Lewis's wrestling schedule in 1886 mm-hmm. they didn't wrestle more than a dozen times a year if that right you know, they were doing other things they weren't traveling mm-hmm. as much and that documentary that you turned me on to really shows what a lot of the issues are Mm-hmm. Being on the road 350 days a year. You weren't yeah. on the road 350 days a year back at that time. But you could have been in the 20s. Mm-hmm. You would probably still didn't wrestle as many matches because it took you longer to get places. I was going to say, the transportation was still... It took you a week to get, you know, across country on exactly. the train. Because there was no fly, uh, flights yet. Um, but getting back to one thing, um, the the... Uh, death that impacted me the most because the man to me was larger than life and he was just so over the top was uh, King Kong Bruiser Brody. Yes. That uh, that, that was another big one. Mm-hmm. When he got murdered down in Puerto Rico uh, it really uh, I was like what? Bruiser Brody? I, I didn't think the man could be hurt. Right. You know, like you said, you, you well, know, you he probably see. couldn't have been if he wouldn't have been suckered into the shower and didn't know the guy was armed with a knife. Right? Yeah, exactly. That was, uh, but that's that's the one that first uh, really made me go, "God, these guys are are mortal." Yeah, you know. So that one really affected me. Mm-hmm. And then there were a few that surprised me over the years. Mm-hmm. So when Dino Bravo got murdered. Yes, uh-huh. That that was kind of surprising to me. But, you know, then when you read about it later, it's like, oh, that's not really that surprising. Right. But we didn't know any of that stuff back then. Oh, yeah, that he was mobbed up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so here's one I did not realize at the time, and I liked this wrestler. He was the only decent wrestler they had on Sa- Central States TV at the time. Mm-hmm. Do you remember a wrestler from the 80s by the name of D.J. Peterson? He wrestled out of Kansas City. Central States. No, the did, name doesn't did, ring a bell. Did a little bit for Vern. He was a muscular guy. Mm-hmm. He was one of the only body guys I ever see come out of Central States. Right. And he had a mustache and uh, almost like a perm. Mm-hmm. Uh, he died, and because I one day I was like, well, I wonder what happened to DJ Peterson. His name popped up. He died in May of 1993, and he was only 33. He was in a motorcycle accident. Oh my. Yeah, 
and I was like, oh wow, he he was the only decent thing that sent. So, in St. Louis, we occasionally got Central States wrestlers mm-hmm. because Bob Geigel and Pat O'Connor were partners with Sam Muchnick, but they were never the main eventers. Right. And so we were used to a lot different wrestling in St. Louis. And I remember when they lost wrestling at the chase to WWF. Oh, that was a dark day. Yes, it was a very dark day. And they started doing some of the syndicated shows. I did like getting Mid-South, AWA. The wrestling was terrible. Oh, well, we talked about that a while ago. (laughs) Yeah. Nick Bockwinkle, if you caught his interview or saw him in the ring, he was good. Mm -hmm. But the wrestling was just god-awful in the 80s. And Central States was just as bad. Yeah. Fortunately, we got Crockett eventually. All right. But we had Mid-South, Crockett, and World Class all on syndication. Mm -hmm. Those were all good shows. Yeah. But we had Central States and AWA, and that was some god-awful stuff. And Central States, you could tell, was on its death knell when they started putting that on TV in St. Louis Mm -hmm. in 84 and 85. And you just had these guys that would have never been anything other than a curtain jerker in St. Louis. Yeah. And they're wrestling at the top of the card. Uh, but Peterson was one of the only ones that, you know, was halfway decent. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yokozuna was not a shock. You oh, know, no. You, you knew he was oh, he a was, ticking time bomb as yeah. heavy as he was. Um, one that did shock me was Brian Pillman. Oh, uh, yeah. Flying Brian, yeah. And, I mean, I knew he had a lot of surgeries. I know that he was probably dabbling in substances. Mm-hmm. And he was definitely using roids. Almost, oh. Most of those guys in yeah. that era were using roids. Mm-hmm. Well, I noticed that uh, people like uh, Rick Rude and uh, Randy Savage, um, their autopsy showed that they had cardiomyopathy, which is an enlargening of the heart. And the heart is muscle, and that's what steroids do. It enlarges that, that, that muscle. And I guess... After you don't do them, it becomes ineffective. Yeah. Uh, and, uh... and then, you know, Eddie Guerrero's death was a bit of a shock. Yes, it was. I tell so you, that really... The most shocking death is... I've never watched a match of his since. I will never watch a match of his again. Mm-hmm. And that's Chris Benoit. Uh, killing his wife and son. Yes, yeah, And then era. himself. That was probably the most shocking death in my lifetime just because of the circumstances. And because he was such a big star. He was yes. I mean, he was huge. Yes. I mean, he was a world champion several times over, mm-hmm. and he was a great wrestler in the ring. Oh, he was such a technician. But I cannot overlook what he did the last three days. There's people that can. Mm-hmm. God bless him. I, you know, I'm not going to judge you. Right. But don't sit there and tell me I have to watch a Chris Benoit match and ignore the what he did the last three days of his life. He right. murdered his wife. Mm-hmm. He murdered his young son. Yes. And there were people that would have taken care of his son. Mm-hmm. If you say you lost your head and you did something stupid in a moment of passion in a heated confrontation with your wife, some people can see that. Yeah. When you do that to your eight-year-old child... No. No. Absolutely not. not. There is, there's nothing... And there were people that would have taken care of that child. Oh, absolutely. So that that to me will always be 
Uh, and who was another one of the young wrestlers that passed away was uh, Umaga. Yes. It, you uh, know, and uh, he, I figured, was probably um, heart. But, you know, people mm-hmm. said that he had issues with the drugs as well. Yeah. And uh, I tell you, I, just watching him wrestle, I couldn't help but think that he probably would have, if he would have stayed around, he might have become another mem- uh, great member of that, you know, Polynesian wrestling family. Yeah. And then, of course, you had uh, Rick Rude and Kurt Hennig, who were best friends. Mm-hmm. And they both had the same issues. Yeah. Recreational drugs, steroids. Um, and Road Warrior Animal died very young. He yes, had he some of those issues. Um, Animal lived to be in his early 60s. And considering yeah. the damage his body took... Mm-hmm. And he would have... There's no question he used steroids. But I, you never hear anything about Animal using recreational drugs and they said that he was pretty straight um a pretty straight arrow well uh yes and you know there were a few stories that popped up when um, hulk uh passed that uh that they would ask sometimes they would be at odds with each other about the partying of one and the other one kind of being you know hey going to the room and going to bed and getting yeah. ready you know uh there was some uh there were some, uh, you know, headbutting over, over that, but uh, yeah. And then you know, Macho Man passes very young, mm-hmm. and you know, it's you know, I'm just wondering if his wasn't had something to do with his mental health though. The guy was obviously OCD, um, and I think he. I sometimes I just wonder if Randy wasn't he was bipolar. He and he was wound so tight. Yes. Mm-hmm. That constant level of stress, because he died of a, he had a massive heart attack while driving. Mm-hmm. He was probably a ticking time bomb when it came to the heart. Yeah, because, I mean, just health things. Being stressed all the time is not good for you. No, uh-uh. and not the at all. one thing people said about him was he was always wound tighter than a top. Yeah. So being under that constant stress, it mm-hmm. probably just you know, eventually his heart was going to give way yeah. under all of that. Mm-hmm. And then you had Andre with the acromegaly, and mm-hmm. you know, it's you look at all of it, and the vast majority of it you can see is related to partying mm-hmm. or the use of steroids. But there's also an element of just health issues that were already existing yeah like for andre or the obesity i mm-hmm. mean john tenta yokozuna yes van vader um yeah vader was lived to be in his early 60s but all those guys life sh- were probably cut short mm-hmm. because of the uh massive amounts of weight that they were carrying and and i know those were massive guys but i just wonder if you know we're talking about stress the stress of traveling oh, showing yeah. up for different shows Absolutely. i mean these guys were going to japan they were you know then coming back to america and going back and you the, know it was just and i can just see that you know because they say going from america to japan is what a, a 15 16 hour flight yeah and there's no layovers you're you're on the plane for that long and i mean you these guys were athletes, but still anybody can develop a clot or anything like that if they're not moving yeah. around, you know. And the one thing that we haven't discussed yet, mm-hmm. and that is the constant abuse to the body. Yes. 
So when they were wrestling 350 days, <clears throat> they were not taking the kinds of bumps that these guys take today. No. Uh-uh. But their bodies were still taking massive amounts of damage because, you know, even if you take less bumps, but you do it every single day, some of the territories, those were seven or eight shot territory sometimes you did two shots a day or you would do a tv taping mm-hmm. and a house show yeah. so they might be in the ring eight or nine times that week mm-hmm. so the body is taking a lot of damage in that that's why i never ever call pro wrestling fake right it's pre-arranged yes but it's not fake exactly it, and, and that's a good way to see it it's it's, it's they know who's going to win and it's pre-worked out but it's not fake because you see these guys putting in the work in the ring that just you know absolutely is amazing yeah so today the travel is less onerous that's great mm-hmm. the bumps in the ring though are much worse yeah and thankfully they are only working two to three days a week because dynamite kid was taking those kind of bumps and everybody said He's great, but he'll be in a wheelchair by 40. And he was pretty much in a wheelchair by 40. Yes, he was. And there are a lot of guys that you look at in pro wrestling today, and they're going to be in a wheelchair in their 40s mm-hmm. or their 50s. Kenny uh, Omega, the AEW star, mm-hmm. he is in his almost, he's almost 40 years old now. Yeah. And his body has taken a tremendous beating. Mm-hmm. He was thinking about retiring after these last medical uh, surgeries that he had had over this past year, and the recovery was much harder because mm-hmm. he's older and he's taken a lot of bumps. I'm not predicting that he's going to be in a wheelchair because I wouldn't predict that for anybody. Right. But I think in another five or ten years, he's going to be lucky to be walking around well. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to have a lot of injuries. Um, the Young Bucks are going to have a lot of injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, this Martin kid, who does some amazing stuff when he lands it, he's going to be in a wheelchair. Well, I don't want to say that. I don't want to wish that on anybody. Right. If he doesn't slow down, he is greatly increasing his chances of not being ambulatory in his 40s and 50s. Uh-huh. Um, Dante Martin, that's the kid I was oh. thinking of. The things he does from a high-flying perspective, uh-huh, amazing. Yeah. But he's not going to be able to walk. Right. You know, he's taken all of these bumps. He's been hurt. I think he's out hurt again. Uh, you know, and just getting back to that, you know, the guys that I'm surprised that aren't, walk, are, are out, aren't using some sort of uh, mobility device, Edge, yes. Christian, the Hardy Boys, the guys that were in these tables, ladders, and chairs match and were getting speared off the top of a ladder to the ring. I mean, there's... So thank God that they're not, you know, in that situation. But Edge, who is in great shape again, mm-hmm. had to retire early because of a neck injury. Yes. Mm-hmm. Christian had basically the same thing. Mm-hmm. The Hardys, if you look at the Hardys today... They do not move, and Matt never took the bumps that Jeff did. Yeah. But if you look at both of them, you can definitely see the wear and tear yeah. of all the years on, on well, both of them. And that's one of the reasons that I wanted to review those Ken Patera matches, which you'll hear on an upcoming episode. 
is because you saw how much Patera lost between 81 and 88. Oh, he yeah. He a two-year prison stint in there. Mm -hmm. But you saw how much he lost. And that was just years. seven years. Yeah. You know, yeah. Imagine what the guys... He was working a power style. He was not taking very many bumps. Right. Imagine the guys that are doing what they're doing today. Mm -hmm. Darby Allen. Yeah. Um, he's another one that he's really taken a chance with his long-term health for this short-term glory. Mm -hmm. Nobody's telling you not to do the things that you're capable of doing. But why don't you save it for the big stuff? Well, and I've seen stuff that people should not do. Yeah. And I'll give you an example. I'm not going to pick on AEW this time. I'm going to pick on WWE. I don't know who approved it, but they need their head examined. And the guy that did it has been out multiple times for multiple injuries. And Tommaso Ciampa needs to sometimes be reeled in for his own good. Yeah. So you know that finisher that he does where he kind of puts the guy up on his back, lets him slide down to where he's like resting on his hip, mm -hmm. and got his head tucked? Yeah. And then does the kind of slam with him. Yeah. They were doing one of those uh, steel cage matches. He got on the top of that cage up in the corner. He got Adam Cole up on his back and did that. Oh, my gosh. Off the top of that cage through a table and oh. on a mat. And I'm like, both of those guys could have crippled themselves. Yeah. For it, fortunately, that was the end of the match, at least. Yeah. Uh -huh. Sometimes that's just a high spot. They don't exactly. Even, you know, something that should kill somebody isn't the end. Mick Foley going off the top of a cage. Don't yes. I, I mean that. If that would have been me, both of those, I'd been dead. It should have ended after. Uh, Undertaker threw him off the cage and he went through the table. Exactly. But, but the no. one through the cage was actually worse. Yeah. Because the chair came down and hit him in the face and knocked a tooth through his nose. Uh-huh. He said the one through the uh, the one off the cage through the uh, announce table uh -huh. wasn't that bad of a uh, bump. He, he's uh -huh. taking a lot worse bumps. Oof. He said the one through the cage down to the mat, because they weren't expecting that cage to break away like that. Yes, they said that was a... That was, a, that that was, was a, unplanned. A <laughs> yep. yeah. He said that was much harder because mm -hmm. hitting that floor, he said he felt every bone in his body shake, and then the yeah. chair hit him in the face. Oof. And, you know, that... It should kill somebody. Right, know? exactly. That should have been the end of that match. And Mick Foley is not the most in-shape guy, but this goes to show you his conditioning that he could, you know, survive a fall like that. Well, basically twice. Yeah. And, and you know, But they on. should have put the kibosh on that. They should not have let Ciampa do that to Cole. Well, exactly. And they'll do yeah. silly stuff like that in AEW, too. It's like sometimes you got to protect people from themselves. Right, yeah. Well, it's like we was watching a match one night, and I think it was a a, a ladies' match, uh, where one of the ladies brought a bunch of kendo sticks out from underneath the ring. Yeah. And are they doing the, kendo during the day there? Or what? I, I guess I don't know why they keep kendo sticks <laughs> underneath the match, but they she did a superplex off the top turnbuckle. Paul Heyman, we blame you for this. ECW. Exactly. And uh, suplex this other gal onto my and I, this girl looked. You know, genuinely hurt. I'm sure it was uh, a cell of some sort, but my God, that looked, you know. That's the other thing. Today, you can't tell, which is the way it was always supposed to be. Mm -hmm. But today, because they get hurt so often, it's hard to tell right. <laughs> between the legitimate injuries. Yeah. 
And the now I seen a couple, and this makes absolutely no sense whatsoever to me. Mm-hmm. So Raquel Gonzalez, or whatever they're calling her this week, yeah, is the NXT champion. She's wrestling the girl that shoot kick knocked out Mercedes Martinez a week or two before that. Okay. And she does this. Um, it wasn't a flying body press, but it's where she lands with her like her back on the girl. Uh huh. And she got all of that. Legitimately hurt the girl. They had to stop oh. the match. So if you hurt her legitimately, mm-hmm. and you have to stop the match, and she is supposed to go over the girl anyway, mm-hmm. why do you not just call the end of the match right there? But no. They sit there, piss around for five or ten minutes mm-hmm. until this girl can recover enough for her to pick her up and give her a freaking power bomb oh, and that, then pin yeah. her. And it's like, that what? was totally innocent. If the other girl was the one that was supposed to go over, yeah. you could see why they would take all this time to do that. But it's like, okay, she's supposed to go over. So why yeah. would you do that that way? Because you know why? Because Vince probably didn't know what the hell to do. Oh, that's right. And you know, Vince was Vince. Vince wake up! Yeah, what right. are we gonna do on this thing? <laughs> ah, you thought you're gonna do? Yeah. You're gonna let her get back up and make your power bomber like she was supposed to. And, and then he, goes back to sleep. Yeah, right now, I tell you what. The one of the uh, actually two two very serious injuries come to my mind that. Uh, Pretty much sidelined wrestlers was uh, one was uh, Sid Sid when his uh, leg went when they had him jump off the top rope yes. and that impact on the mat broke his yes. leg and that then, was one of the most horrific looking injuries I've ever seen wrestling. and then uh, of course uh, more recent than that was the uh, the draws incident yeah where he got uh landed wrong on the power and unfortunately bomb. he just passed away not too long ago yeah and you know what the most shocking thing of that was which mm-hmm. just shows an accident can happen at any time with anybody mm-hmm. you know because D'Lo brown never hurt anybody before since no and you know D'Lo brown said he felt so bad about that first oh, I'm sure. you know and draws was like because hey. he really seems like a decent guy if you've heard him in interviews and yeah stuff. He seems like one of the straight guys in, from wrestling. Yeah, and Draws was like, it happens. I knew what I was getting into. There's the possibility of this happening, and it happened. You know, and, and Draws wasn't, you know, upset about it or anything. It's just part of the territory. But D'Lo felt so bad about that. And I can't blame him. I mean, oh, yeah, most I would people felt would horrible feel too. horrible. And I, what, um, they said that it was a combination of both of them being super sweaty mm-hmm. and the angle at what they did. Yeah. That it was really, you really couldn't blame it on anybody. Right, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, but I see, I mean, that girl that shoot kicked Mercedes Martinez, she knocked her all the way out. Oh, man. And she's trying to pick her up to do something with her. Yeah. And again, She's the one that's supposed to go over. Go over, yeah. She just shoot, kick, knocked her out. Give her the win and get Mercedes well, some medical attention. And I just wonder if that's, like I said, you know. Maybe they woke Vince up again. He said, no, no. Uh, right. Have her recover and then have her do something else. Because, you know. I'm not doing that stupid Vince McMahon voice again. 
backstage, you know, he's he's in everybody's ears. He's in the announcer's ears. Well, he's in the ref's ears. Now that ears. he's under federal indictment, it's my understanding that he hasn't been pestering anybody for a while. Well, he might be talking sweet nothings in one of the men-made's ears. <laughs> well, yeah, he's probably doing that. But as far as being, you know, backstage, yeah, aggravating everybody, I think Triple H is back in charge again. Yeah. Which is good for the wrestling. Um, and my understanding is the job satisfaction in the paralegal camp has come up quite a bit since Vince has had that back. Oh, okay. So the girls can go to work and not worry yes, about being not worry about. <laughs> uh, I, I, how old is Vince now? He's in his 70s. Vince was born in 45. Oh, okay. He's so really he would be 78. 78. And he's got jet black hair and a pencil-thin mustache. He looks like a silent film uh, movie villain. Uh, exactly what he looks like, yes. Looks like, what was and it, who, Dick who, Dastard? And who, yeah, and who convinced him that was a good look? I don't know. God. So, <laughs> Jim Cornette and Brian Blaster talking about uh-huh. how mad Vince looked. Uh-huh. But he said... Yeah, I guess some, one of the young women convinced Vince that that looked good. And I think it was Brian said, well, how do you know she's younger than him? He goes, well, for crying out loud, Vince can't be dating anybody older than him. <laughs> if they're not younger than him, who could they be, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah that's a great point. I really like that. <laughs> you know, and uh, something that just kind of hit me, and you can you can, you can can weigh on this. Um you remember, um, it's been several years ago, but do you remember um, when the Dudley Boys put Mae Young through a table? Yes. And everybody said how horrible that was and everything, and they were given the heart. I'm, the, I'm, I'm the sure Dudley that Boys. was, to be honest, I'm sure that was Mae's. It was Mae's idea, and here's this gal, she's 90 years old, taking bumps. Again, this is where Vince or somebody else who said, <laughs> Mae... We love you. Go out protect, and do something protect else. Protect somebody from yourself, yeah. you know. But if you go back and you watch that, yeah. Bubba really worked hard. Oh. He, he took it all. Oh, yeah. He, he did, did everything he could to make sure she was, like, sitting down on a pillow. Because yeah. you see, he pulls her in as tight as he can. Yes, he does. And then he jumps and goes through the table and takes all the impact. Uh-huh. And then he kind of lets her fall. Yeah. And gives that crazy stare. But you yeah. can tell he really... The two people I really saw him protect on those mm-hmm. was Trish Stratus when they put her through the table uh-huh. and Mae Young. He really protected both okay. of them. Yeah. But, you know, since, like you said, keeping pe- people from harming themselves, man, somebody right. may need to handle her. <laughs> right. When people were talking about that was horrible, yeah. I was like, that was probably Mae Young's idea. It was Mae Young's idea. She called, in fact, when first Dudley, or uh, Bubba Ray didn't want to do it, and she called him something that we can't say on this podcast. <laughs> Jim Cornette could say it on his podcast, but we can't say it on ours. So, <laughs> I'm trying to keep this clean. Well, so I was going to say, you know, we're running a, uh, what does Dutch man tell? We're running a respectful, profanity-free right. <laughs> podcast. I know every great once in a while something might slip out because yeah. every great once in a while during the day something will slip out. But oh, yeah. I do try to keep it clean. So if people are listening to it, you know, the kids or grandkids are around. Yeah, exactly. They don't have to run and hide. But, oh, my goodness, yeah. I, I, as soon as I saw that, people started screaming. Mm-hmm. Well, 
the other one that I didn't get, and I understand, everybody's very sensitive about people grooming people and everything nowadays. Uh-huh. So, yeah, if I see some guy that's much, much older than a teenager, yeah, they're grooming and stuff. Mm-hmm. But everybody got all wrapped around the axle when the WWE did the storyline about the uh, Buddy Matthews and Aaliyah, and Aaliyah was 19 years old. Yes, uh uh-huh. Well, Aaliyah was already an adult when that storyline started. She was 19 years old, and Buddy was 32. Mm -hmm. But guess what, folks? In real life, if your 19-year-old daughter wants to go out with a 32-year-old guy... There ain't jack all of nothing that you can do about it. Exactly. They're a grown adult, and, you know, they're going to date who they want to date, whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, because when I saw that, I'm like, you know, people may think it's distasteful, but there ain't jack in this world you can do about it if your 19-year-old daughter, once they're a grown adult, mm-hmm. they're going to date who they want to date, whether yeah. you like it or not. Um so, you know, that's the kind of situation that you can find yourself in. Mm-hmm. So I just, I, th- I think that people are way too sensitive about way too many things. If it would have been another Katie Vick situation. Yeah. Or Ray Mysterio's daughter's 16. Mm-hmm. And this 25-year-old guy is, hit- yes, absolutely. Yeah. I'm with you. That's tasteless. That should never be on a wrestling show. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But when you're talking to adults... You may find it distasteful that there's a big age gap, but that's life. There's nothing you or anybody else can do about it. You know, And I will say, the man who raised me was 13 years older than my mother, and they had an extremely happy marriage. Mm-hmm. My dad was 49 when he married my mom, who was 36, and she had three children, 12, 9, and 6. Mm-hmm. And he raised all three of us like we were his own kids. Right. After he'd already raised a bunch of girls. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I have five older sisters. The only one who was not an adult when they got married is my sister Kelly. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Yeah. Uh, getting back to it, it just, uh, you know, if a young, if an older man approaches, you know, like Buddy Matthews, approximately at 19 and 34, he's considered a creeper. You know, he's bad. Now, if it's an eighteen-year or nineteen-year-old man, and a woman is thirty-four, she's considered a cougar, and she's—you go get you a young man, lady. You, you deserve it. And I was like, "What's the difference?" You know. Well, you know what I always thought when that happened? What's that? Where were these women when I was eighteen, nineteen, and twenty years <laughs> you old? You know what? I kind of wondered the same thing myself. <laughs> I never knew any of them. <laughs> no, me you neither. Know? And uh, and it's disgusting, but these these uh, teachers that have sex with their students. Yeah, well, I mean that's again that's predatory. That, yeah, that's, that's that's predatory behavior. You know, but you know what? I, if I'd have been fifteen, maybe I wouldn't mind being preyed on. But it yeah. is predatory. <laughs> exactly. You know, exactly. It's, it's not. But yeah, when I was a nineteen twenty year old guy, there wasn't thirty four year old women running around looking for twenty year old guys. Right, they weren't throwing themselves. At out. least I never found any. No, me neither. I. Heck, I can't. I'd like to find a fifty-one-year-old to throw herself at. <laughs> you know, I what I always thought would be good was to uh, hook yourself up with a teacher. Because mm-hmm. if you don't do it right, they make you do it over. Exactly. And hey, you know what? Oh, got an F. I failed. Well, gotta do it again. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, we have really went far of a field here today. Uh, we have we've we've gone off well we went off the rails of the crazy train that's <laughs> yeah well this is a winging it episode yeah but we did want to do something because we wanted to 
acknowledge these deaths. It's not normal that we would t take a show and do them out of order and all of this, but in these circumstances, with the death of Terry, I don't want to belittle the death of Bray Wyatt because mm -hmm. it's tragic in many ways and he didn't mm -hmm. deserve to be gone at 36 years old mm -hmm. between a combination of COVID and a previous heart condition. Right. Terry Funk is a legend in wrestling. And, oh, you know, one of the best. Yeah. Was a big part of our childhood, mm -hmm. uh, early adulthood. So he, he was somebody that we definitely wanted to recognize. And I don't want to. Exotic Adrian Street is somebody I only saw wrestle a few times. Mm -hmm. And I always thought he was interesting um, because I love the. You couldn't really tell where Adrian was, you know on the spectrum of things uh -huh. because he had Miss Linda with him all the time mm -hmm. but then he would be kissing some of the other wrestlers and he was just throwing you off and yeah but I didn't see him wrestle that much mm -hmm. I became a huge Adrian Street fan when I read his seven uh, books in his autobiography series I read every one of them yeah and um, probably the best wrestling biographies autobiography because he wrote them himself about yeah. himself that and Mick Foley, between those two, are probably mm. my two favorite autobiographies of all time. Um, yeah. Now, I, I have not read A.J. Street, so I can't say anything. Uh, but I've read both of Mick Foley's books, which were really good. Yeah. And I thought uh, Jerry Lawler's It's Good to Be the King I've was, not read his yet. It, it's very um, insightful, and like I said, well, I'm, I'm, and look how long he wrestled. Too. Yeah, he wrestled fifty uh, years, maybe. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's a long time. He's one of those, you know, wrestlers that had a five-decade career. You know, he's another one that hopefully it's not a long. It's a long, long time before we have to talk about him on a podcast. Exactly. He was somebody that I always knew about from the magazines and everything, but mm -hmm. the first time I saw him wrestle would have been 1990s in the WWE when he was a shell of what he was in Memphis. Now, I've seen him wrestle in Memphis since. As a matter of fact, the match we're going to review in just a few minutes, he it was him and Terry Funk. But I didn't see Jerry Lawler in the ring because, again, this is tapes aren't a big thing yet. This mm -hmm. is before you got other people's wrestling. I didn't really see Jerry Lawler. You know, and that... That makes me sad because we got UWF, WCW, WWE, WWF, whatever you want to call it. They don't even know themselves. WCCW. And uh, when I would go down and visit my grandmother in Scott City, we got Paducah Wrestling. Yeah. Uh, and so it was good to see. It was good to be, uh, you know, I guess introduced to all of those tapes. But, God, I tell well, you what. We, we, saw, was, we saw Georgia at Grandma's, too, because TBS. Yeah. And I was, I was like, why can't we get Memphis? We're close enough to Memphis that we should be able well, to get it. And that's one of the things I was thinking about. Mm -hmm. It's an absolute shame, uh, but it, Memphis was starting to die out when you and I got old enough to start driving. But we yeah, could, we could have drove to Memphis many times. Oh yeah, that that's just a short little trip <clears throat> for us from yeah. St. Louis. We could have went there. We could have watched the matches. We could have went to some of the neat places in Memphis. Mm -hmm. Um, I tell you what, you're talking about some of the neat places in Memphis. Sorry to interject, uh, but uh, before, you know, I'll lose my train of thought. Uh, Jerry Lawler has a restaurant on Beale Street. It's Jerry Lawler's Barbecue, and I ran into the man. Superhuman being, very nice guy. If you're in Memphis, go check it out. Okay, back to our regularly scheduled <laughs> program. 
had to get, and I didn't get paid to say that. I was just saying, <laughs> we don't get paid for plugs. So anything that we're saying, hey, it's stuff that we actually recommend, mm-hmm. have been there, like, etc. Yeah. So why don't we jump into the review since we kind of... Yeah. So this match, there's a number of matches. I thought about reviewing Jack Briscoe versus Terry Funk, the NWA title switch where Terry Funk won it in 1977. Mm-hmm. That is available. Not 77, 75. He was a champion from 75 to 77. Okay. About 14 months. Yeah. If It's a short match because they only, like most things, they didn't, they probably captured the whole match somewhere, but they only showed the highlights on TV. So it's about three minutes of that match, mm-hmm. including the pin. You could look at that. There were the Ric Flair matches in the 89 we considered. Those were all available on Peacock. Mm -hmm. But the one we chose, because it's readily available on YouTube, and it really made a big impression on me, even though I didn't see the match till years later, and that was Jerry Lawler versus Terry Funk, the empty arena match from Memphis in 1981. Mm -hmm. So if you put in uh, Terry Funk versus Jerry Lawler, empty arena, there'll be like two or three Take the video that is 18 minutes and 12 seconds. Yes. And so to lead into this, I understand it a little bit better now because I was listening to Jim Cornette's podcast the other day and he was talking about the uh, schedule for Memphis and this is actually before uh, Terry had passed away. I know that he he puts, I haven't listened to it yet, but he has put up um, a clip on YouTube which he's talking about it, which is like an hour and 22 minutes, and it'll be part of the podcast this week, so I'll listen to it then. But they rarely brought Terry Funk in for studio TV because the Friday night town in the Tennessee Territory was not a big money town. Saturday was filming the studio show, which nobody got paid for, and Sunday was also not a big money town. So they might bring him in on a Sunday night, to wrestle Memphis. I think Memphis was Monday night. And then there were a couple of bigger towns in the circuits. Evansville. Yeah. Um, never went to Nashville. Mm-mm. But some of the bigger towns. Well, Nashville was in a different territory then, too. No, wasn't it? it was Tennessee. Um, but it just it never drew a whole lot. Uh, for a while, it was part of... Um, you're thinking about when uh, Jarrett split... From Goulas and Goulas had Nashville. Yes, but, yes, that's. But what then Nash, then he sold that to uh, Jarrett. So at oh. the time of this match, Nashville was part of that. Okay, but it was never a big drawing town. Uh-huh. Not as compared to Memphis and okay. some of the other ones. So rarely did they have Terry Funk in for the studio because it would cost Jerry Jarrett money that he couldn't recoup. And this match, I think, was sort of an answer to that because this match is going to lead into getting the fans to come pay to see the a match in the Mid South Coliseum in Memphis. Between it'll be a rematch between Funk and Lawler. Mm-hmm. So Lawler, I'm sorry, not Lawler. Funk challenges Lawler to a no holds barred empty arena match, no referee, and. The way they set it up is Lance Russell is there with a cameraman from the uh, local station and a still photographer just in case, and I'm doing air quotes if you could see me, 
just in case both Lawler and Funk show up for this challenge. Mm-hmm. And it's great because we were watching it, and it, it looks like how people would act if they're not sure that something's going to happen. Lance starts to light us. He does light a cigarette, and he's starting to smoke it because they're waiting to see if anything happens. Mm-hmm. And Randy West, who's the cameraman, basically... Uh, Lance acts like he's just been signaled that they want to record an intro. He goes, oh, you want to record an intro? Hold on, let me get rid of my cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> and he throws it down. And remind me about the smoking thing. Mm-hmm. Because they've corrected it on some other podcasts, and I want to do the same thing here. Okay. Because I remember when people used to smoke in Keel Auditorium. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, yes, they did. Yeah. yeah. Go home, smell like smoke. Yeah. So he throws it down, he does the intro, and then they're waiting. They turn the camera off because it's like 10 minutes to 1. 1 o'clock is when they're supposed to meet. And then around about 1 o'clock, here comes Terry Funk. Mm-hmm. Yelling and cussing. Yelling and cussing. <laughs> And Lance Russell keeps up. Come on, Terry. We want to use this footage. We can't do it if you keep cussing like right. that. <laughs> you know, because they're constantly bleeping out most of what he's saying. And Funks starts to act like he's going to count him out. Where is he at? Where is he at? Mm-hmm. Well, then here comes Jerry Lawler wearing the crown and, and a cape. And a cape. And Funk's like, you idiot, why would you wear that crown and that cape? There's no fans here, you moron. <laughs> and Lawler's just walking to the... He goes, what have you got in that cape, Lawler? You got a knife? You got a gun? Yeah. <laughs> and Lawler says, I don't need a knife or a gun for you. And Lance Russell's like, let me go behind the table here. Right. He wants to get out of the way. <laughs> and then they commence to have it. So that all takes about eight minutes mm-hmm. of the 18 minutes. And then they get into the ring, and they basically have a brawl for mm-hmm. about six to eight minutes. Yeah, I'd say that. And both are bloodied, and it ends with a purported eye injury uh, where Funk is trying to stab Lawler in the eye with a spike, and he gets his elbow kicked, and it goes in his own eye. Mm-hmm. And he's covering his eye, and he's screaming, and he's telling, begging Lance to get him a doctor, and... Then they cut, after all of that, to a promo of Terry Funk talking about the match coming up at the Mid-South Coliseum. So this was kind of a brilliant way. They could have filmed that anytime Funk was in town on a Monday mm-hmm. at the Coliseum in the morning and then had the show there that night. Yeah. And it was a brilliant way to promote the match. But the reason I wanted to use it for the review is the mannerisms and the believability of both of the guys. Mm -hmm. This match affected me as I told you because that still photographer, those pictures went around to all the wrestling magazines. I saw Mm -hmm. in either The Wrestler or Inside Wrestling a photo spread of this match Mm -hmm. with a story attached about it. Yeah. And I was like that looked so cool even though I didn't and as normal I didn't like hardcore wrestling but this was so different because it was in the empty arena and everything Mm -hmm. I'm like man these guys really hate each other oh I mean the way they were wading through the chairs and the you know that were set up there and and uh Terry Funk going crazy and busting up that pole to use as a weapon and yeah it was it was something else It, it was 
and so the reason I chose it is because it had such an effect on me in the magazines but most of the time when I have gone back and watched a match that I remember from the magazines mm -hmm. I've been disappointed yeah and I'll give you a, a great example of that is the very first Wrestle War, Wrestle War '85, mm -hmm. looks so good in the wrestling magazines from those photo spreads. Mm -hmm. And then you watch the card and it's god awful. None of those Wrestle Wars that the AWA put on with their partners in the NWA. Uh -huh. And you know what that led to? All the partners he had turning on Vern. Yeah. Because every time everybody felt like they were getting stiffed on the payoffs. Yeah. Well, and Vern so was all a the. Miser. Yeah, and, you know, Jim Crockett was in with him on one and, mm -hmm. and never did another one. Jerry Lawler and Jerry Jarrett were in with him on one and never did another one with him. Mm -hmm. uh, Geigel and them were in with him on one and never did another one with him. But yeah. the matches were horrible. <coughs> this match I found <coughs> compelling, interesting, and even though I don't care for hardcore wrestling, mm -hmm. Funk and Lawler were able to pull one off that I actually enjoyed. You know, I have yet to see now i haven't seen a lot of jerry lawler matches but i've yet to see a jerry lawler match that i didn't appreciate and i've heard that when it came to being in the ring in the mid-south coliseum which unfortunately we don't have as many of those matches as it been mm -hmm. he was fantastic at reading the crowd yeah and knowing when to bring a match up and knowing when to bring a match down bring it down and that is definitely a lost art today yeah. Everything's 100 miles an hour. Nobody mm -hmm. waits for people to catch up with them. It's just... Yeah. And then you see the obvious cooperation. You're like, well, I'm through. Yeah, exactly. So at least... I'm going to quit using my Viking references because I use that all the time. <laughs> so, you know, quit violating the rules and winking at everybody, breaking the fourth wall and all the other nonsense that you guys do. Right. Try to fool somebody. It's much better when you try to fool somebody. Yeah. We knew back in the 80s what we were watching, particularly if you were watching WWE, they couldn't, or WWF then, you, yeah. they, they couldn't hide the hoo-ha. They got guys that couldn't hide the hoo-ha. Right. Hulk Hogan punching his hand every night when he put it on top of the guy's head. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. you know? But you could suspend... Disbelief, or you could suspend belief and, and enjoy it. Yeah. I can't watch guys doing these obvious cooperation spots without just going, well, I'm done with that. Yeah. Well, I just, I couldn't watch a Hulk Hogan match anyway. I mean, <laughs> it's like punch, body slam, leg drop. Oh, well, that was interesting. Uh, what were those westerns that you were watching that you said you really liked on um, Paramount? Oh, uh, the uh, the uh, prequels to Yellowstone, uh, nineteen twenty three and uh, eighteen eighty three or eighty eight, something like that. Did any Native American tribes ever attack anybody in those shows? Uh, on eighteen eighty eight, they did. Okay, so it would be like if you were in that eighteen hundred show, and the Indians were riding down on the settlers as they're behind the wagon train. And a settler comes out and grabs the spear of the Indian and drives it into his own stomach. Exactly, yes. That, that's what it would be like mm -hmm. when you were obviously cooperating in a wrestling match. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, there's a... And I'm not going to pick oh, on... Should I, should I insult the French? Go ahead. They do to us all the time. 
I really didn't want to do this. I, I <laughs> but it was so funny. So, well, it was funny to me. The French probably won't like it. The English will think this is the funniest thing they've ever heard in their life. <laughs> so during the 1988 World Cup, mm-hmm. I worked with a gentleman who was a former London police officer that had convinced me to watch football for the first time. Because in the United States, we got MLS, which is not very good for the most part. <sighs> not very good? Well, I'm trying It's to horrible. Well, I'm trying not to okay. say that, but it's not very good. Uh, some might even say it's horrible. <laughs> so I never really watched it. And Mike said, watch the World Cup, and if you like it, I'll introduce you to the English Premier League and the Bundesliga, and you'll be a football fan for the rest of your life. Which he was right. I watched it. I loved it. He introduced me to the European leagues, and I've been a huge fan ever since. Mm-hmm. I love the EFL. I, I watch all four divisions, so I watch Premier League, Championship, League One, League Two. And I always take off Boxing Day, December 26th, because that's the biggest EFL fixture day mm-hmm. on the calendar. But in this 1988 World Cup, they're in France. Which the French national team won, by the way. So congratulations. I'll say something nice before I insult the uh, the uh, law enforcement in your country. I'm surprised they didn't walk out with a white flag and surrender. That's what they did in every other. Then go ahead. Well, Mike, you're getting you're getting to Mike's punchline. <laughs> okay. So the first thing he said to me was, so the English team was playing in one of the towns in France, and uh, we. We had a campus security department that our officers were called response officers. And I was the uh, deputy operations officer, and Mike was one of my supervisors. And I said, Mike, I was reading that the English team is playing uh, in this town, and they laid on 40,000 extra French police. And he said, yeah, but, you know, you you, you got to know. He said, 40,000 French police, that's like three response officers. <laughs> And he said, and it's a total waste of time. He said, because if the fans start getting rowdy and breaking up the bar, he goes, the flag comes out. He goes, the bar owner comes out and starts busting up his own stuff. He goes, you know, collaboration begins almost immediately. And, and I laughed. So I, I should probably be ashamed of myself. But and the way and, Mike told it, it was quite hilarious. Uh, well, I tell you, you know what? I've never been. As to I said, the, the people that, that listen to this in England are probably laughing right now. Right. And the people <laughs> in France are like, "I'll never <laughs> listen to this idiot again." <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's it, it is what it is. But yeah, it's and that's Mister Idiot to you, by the way. <laughs> the um, um, talking about the no, but you know, um, I told you how I became. Um, uh, well, not. I'm not going to say I'm a super fan of fo- soccer, but um, went to uh, when I was in Kansas City. He's not a real fan. He didn't call it football. But go ahead. Yeah, but any. Well, yeah, because no. But um, went to. Uh, I was working at a hospital on a contract there, um, and there was a bunch of nurses, doctors, and such. We went to a, uh, a Kansas City sporting game. And I would have rather watched hippies play hecky sack in the park <laughs> than watch this. And I was talking to one of the nurses who happened to be from Germany and was over. She was a she was born in Germany. She's yep. a citizen over here now. Uh, and she says, "Well, she says next time that the uh, German league plays, 
I want you to, we'll get together, we'll watch it, and you tell me how it goes. And it happened to be Dortmund versus Munich or something of the sort. So Borussia uh, Dortmund is my favorite team mm-hmm. because where my family's from in uh, Wuppertal, mm-hmm. my, my maternal grandmother's family, the most blacks are from there. Okay. So think of like St. Louis County and then Franklin County. That's mm-hmm. how close Dortmund and Wuppertal are. Oh, okay. So it was a Dortmund versus Munich match, I believe. Um, I, I think it was Munich. It might have been another one of those in towns over there. But it was such a different game. And, you know, these guys were sliding and trying to take each other out. They, they were not, you know, in the first They're, time. You're I not going to see much shirt pulling there. No, huh? You know, you're going to see red cards and yellow cards. And I was like, now this is my kind of, well, I call it soccer. Yes, I was. I was reprimanded for not calling it football, <laughs> but yeah. So I, I can see where your uh, the the more uh, World Cup stuff is more uh, acceptable and more fun to watch than the uh, stuff we have over here. I know we wanted to talk about premature wrestler deaths and you know the legends dying. Mm-hmm. We've covered cougars and uh, football or yeah. soccer, whichever. I know that. I, how I distinguish is I say football and American football. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the United States, no matter what I say, it's gonna, most people are going to call it soccer and football. Yeah. Because the NFL is the biggest sport here. It's always going to be. Um, I love the NFL too. But when my dad was alive, it was in my top five. Mm-hmm. Now it's in my top 20. Oh, okay. Um, I still like it. But I don't love it as much as I did when my dad was alive because that was our thing. When he started dating my mom, he introduced me to football. I hadn't really watched it before then. Mm-hmm. Uh, we watched the Cardinals. He and I supported the Cardinals and supported the Rams because you always got to support the hometown team. Yeah. And they sucked for the vast majority of the time we were fans. <laughs> and we always got it rubbed in to us by my grandpa and my mom because they were both Dallas Cowboy fans. Um, and you know, if you, if I you, I still liked your grandma and grandpa, or your grandpa and your mom, even though they were. Uh, yeah, I know, but um, in the United States, the Dallas Cowboys are called America's team, but they ain't this American's team, and they ain't a lot of America's team. People either love the Cowboys or absolutely hate the Cowboys, and I'm put myself in that hate camp. They should be the American Penal Colony yeah, team. Yeah, they're. Ugh. But we have digressed all over the place today. We have. Well, because we're wingers, that's what happens. Yeah, and we wing this one, I'll tell you that much. But we did want to express our condolences to the uh, family of Wyndham Rotunda, who was known as Bray Wyatt. Mm -hmm. Um, Particularly, our heart goes out to his four children, and we hope they got some great memories of their dad. Um, Terry Funk was a legend. He was a lot of the reason that pro wrestling was so big in the 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. Another tragic loss. We don't want to leave out Exotic Adrian yep. and all the other wrestlers we talked about today. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a tough life. And it's not gotten, well, it's gotten a little bit less tough over the last 20 years because they're traveling less. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they're doing more in the ring, so it's probably a push. Yeah. And unfortunately, drugs are still a major issue in this country mm-hmm. um, at all levels of society, and I'm sure that pro wrestling is not immune. So hopefully we have a lot less tragic wrestler deaths in the future. Um, and I think that that's probably it. I was going to make some closing remark about 
cougars and old guys and everything else. But uh, yeah. I think I'll just let that rest with the inappropriate stuff we've already said about all of that. All right. And like I said, you know. I even insulted the French today. Yeah, that was that was good. We, we really well, I wouldn't say that was good. <laughs> um, do I need to remind you that the French hate us? Well, not all of them hate us. And my favorite fighter is Cyril Gan, who's a French fighter. Okay. He's a heavyweight. Okay. Well, anyway, most of the, you know, uh, they, the... Uh, you like French bread. Well, actually, I'm not supposed to eat it anymore because my low-carb oh. diet, but so I don't eat much, but... So you can't do French fries either? Uh-uh. What about French toast? Nope. If it's, if it's got carbs in it, I, I mean, don't get me you wrong. You know, the the French, really, the food is what makes them worth it. Well, yeah, and I'm not eating snails and go to hell on that. Well, I'm not eating that either. <laughs> but, you know, uh, getting back to uh, the... the Closing here, it's uh, and it's like it's like my uh, co-host here said that you know it's it's a terrible thing uh, what happened to uh, Wyndham Rotunda, um, Bray Wyatt, uh, Terry Funk, and Exotic Adrian Street. But I think Exotic he probably most likely died. Of, I think he was old age, wasn't he? He was. He was eighty-two. I mean, yeah, it's it just natural causes. They, yeah. they and he and Terry led good long lives you know yeah. that one it's more i feel bad for miss linda who's yeah. a little younger than him and you know mm-hmm. survives unfortunately when you're married one of you is going to stand over the other one's grave unless something tragic happens to both of you at the same time mm-hmm. yeah it, so it is like i said our hearts go out to the families and our condolences um i'm going to miss not seeing terry funk even you know when he was older he'd show up at ringside or he'd show up in a promo and carrying that branding iron and <laughs> you know <laughs> threatening to wallop somebody with it uh and bray wyatt you're never never going to see the fiend again which some people hated that gimmick but i thought it was rather clever as yeah <laughs> you know so it, it is sad. more original than a lot of the other stuff that they produced over the last few years yeah so it is it, it is it's a sad day to see that these two uh wrestlers have passed yeah so uh, just real quick, the episode that was supposed to be today will be next Monday. We'll do three episodes in June, and then we'll be back on the normal schedule in October. I am going to throw in an extra episode, so we end on an even number of episodes this year, but I, I have no idea when that will be. Hopefully, we don't have another situation that necessitates a bonus episode that's out of order. Mm-hmm. So, until next time, we will sign off.